Well, today we're going to start a new series. It's called Acts of the Spirit. Um, you know, when you think of Christianity, you think of Christianity, it's, it's, it's this, uh, it's all over the world. And uh, it's kind of weird to think that Christianity started, you know, 2,000 years ago. And it began with this small, kind of insignificant Jewish sect in this little country called Israel, way on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. I mean, I don't know if you realize, I mean, one of the things for me that stuck out when Terry and I had the opportunity to go to Israel this last summer is how small Israel really, really is. I I mentioned it one time, we were on uh, this um, Herodian, this hillside with with a, a temple on top, and we were on it, and you know, you could see Jerusalem there, you could see Bethlehem there, the Dead Sea was right over there, and you're up, we're up on this thing, we could see it all. And it's like, seriously? <laughs> it's that small. The reality is you could fit about nine Israels into the state of Minnesota. Think about that for a minute. So here in this little town, town, country, Israel, that is being run by uh, this Roman Empire that, I, you know, I, I wrote down initially as godless, but it, it wasn't godless. It was, had this pantheon of gods. Um, Jesus recruits 12 men to follow him to start a movement, and as we know, he... Not even he did the best job of recruiting because, you know, one of them kind of fizzled out. But after three years of ministry, Jesus had a group of about 120 followers. So when you you read at the end of the Gospels or the beginning of Acts, you see that uh, there were about 120 followers at that time. Over the course of about the next 70 years... This little group of people became this prominent feature in the religious landscape of the Middle East in the first century. In fact, it impacted the Roman Empire. And all of this, in the midst of persecution, persecution not just by the Romans, but by the Jewish people too, and then in the course of the first 300 years, all of a sudden, it was declared the official religion of this Roman Empire. How does that happen? I mean, have you ever, have you ever thought of that? How, how one little group, 12 men, becomes 120, becomes this powerful impact in this Roman Empire to the point that they decide that Their main religious focus is going to be Christianity. We're going to spend the next few months looking at the books of Acts, and we are going to learn, hopefully, maybe, the answer to that question. How did this kind of thing happen? Now, the book of Acts, uh, many of you probably know that the book of Acts... um, Luke is considered the author. In fact, most scholars are, are pretty much on the same page with, uh, with that, with Luke being the author. Luke is known to have traveled throughout uh, the, 
with Paul on his early missionary journeys, even to Jerusalem and to Rome. In fact, in Colossians, Paul talks, Luke tells us that Luke is a physician. So here you have this doctor, and he's traveling with Paul, and he's learning about this faith, this Jewish faith, this Christianity. In fact, um, the one thing that people discuss is, was Luke really Jewish? Was he a Jewish person that was dispersed, part of the dis- dispersion that went into the, the other parts of the Middle East, up into Greek, uh, Rome and, and Ephesus and that kind of stuff? Or, or was he actually a Gentile? And there's some disagreement about that. But whether he is or not, what we do know is that Luke paid attention to what was going on and to all the stories that were being told about this Jesus. So why did Luke write Acts? Well, as we also know, he had another book that he wrote, and that is a gospel, and that's the gospel of Luke. And this is what Luke says in the gospel of Luke of why he wrote the gospel of Luke, which we can also you know, bring over to Acts. And he says this. Now, um, wow, my slides just got all messed up. Uh, I'm probably going to need some help. Do you have Luke 1 on there? Okay. Things are messed up on my phone. So let's just go with Luke 1. All right. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So we see here that Luke carefully investigated everything so that Theophilus, now who's Theophilus? We, we really don't know. Is, is that a real person or is it kind of a, uh, Luke just throws a name in there uh, to give us something to focus on. But what we do know is that Luke thoroughly investigated and wanted people to know that everything that has been told about Jesus is true. Now, Acts becomes like a second volume. So it's almost like this two-volume set, Gospel of Luke and Acts. The Gospel of Luke talks about everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus taught. The book of Acts becomes everything his followers did and all the things that the Holy Spirit did through his followers. Now, when you read Acts, it's a story. Uh, it, it's one story after another of these people, these followers of Jesus, being obedient to what God has called them to do and transforming their world. Here's some of the things that we will read about over the course of the next few weeks. We'll read about the 3,000 that... Uh, became followers of Jesus on Pentecost. It's a familiar story. 
We'll also read in Acts chapter 2 about God adding to their number daily those being saved. We'll read about how the church grew to 5,000 men plus the women and children, so probably about 10,000. We'll read in, in Acts chapter 5, multitudes are being saved. In chapter 6, we'll read the number of the disciples are increasing. In fact, the number of disciples, it says, is rapidly increasing, and a large number of these new disciples are actually priests. In Luke or in Acts chapter 8, we'll learn about how Samaritans came to Christ. And about an Ethiopian that was saved and then went back to his country. In Acts chapter 9, we'll read about entire towns surrendering their lives to Jesus. Acts chapter 11, we'll read about great number of Gentiles becoming followers of Jesus. And in Acts 13, we'll read about a Roman proconsul. A, a proconsul is one who is a ruler over a province and how he believes, becomes a follower of Jesus. In Acts 14, we'll read about large multitudes of Jews and Greeks accepting Christ. In Acts 16, we'll read that the churches increased in number daily. Acts 17, we'll read about prominent women who are beginning to follow Jesus. And Acts 18, the ruler of the synagogue becoming a Christian with his household. Acts 19, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Are you picking up a theme here? An amazing move of God where people daily are surrendering their lives to Jesus. So again, how does this happen? Amidst these stories, Luke also tells about signs and wonders and miracles and healings that are happening and how these signs and wonders and miracles are in way, are a means toward the conversion of many of these people. Now, there are many stories, but I just want to point out a couple of them. On Pentecost, when 3,000 people uh, became followers of Jesus, what happened? The Holy Spirit came on the disciples, and they spoke in other languages. So all of a sudden, these people are hearing the gospel in their own language. A miracle. In the process of the church growing to 5,000 Peter and John healed a lame man at the temple. Believers were added when Peter's shadow actually healed someone and many who were demon-possessed were set free. The gospel broke through to the Samaritans because the miracles that were done by Philip. Many in the city of Joppa became followers of Jesus because Peter raised a woman by the name of Dorcas from the dead. The proconsul that I mentioned earlier believed because he witnessed a power encounter between Paul and a sorcerer. And Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, won. The word of the Lord spread through Ephesus when demons were cast out and when handkerchiefs 
that were blessed by Paul, people would actually touch and they were healed. And there are so many more stories. But there's a caveat here that I want to add to this. It must be clear for us that we must know that none of these signs and wonders by themselves saved anyone. They were accompanied by preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. Preaching about Jesus who died and rose again and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. Preaching about the Messiah, the Son of God who came. Salvation, it is what is important here. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For Paul, it's all about salvation. People were born again because they put their faith in Jesus Christ, not because they were healed, not because they were set free by a demon, but healing and deliverance often open the door to be people being receptive to the good news of Jesus Christ. So we, so we have to understand that as we take this journey into the book of Acts. Let's consider for a moment what Luke tells us in chapter 4 of Acts. And we'll dive into this more in a few weeks. But there's a crazy prayer that the church prayed. And this prayer all starts when, in chapter 3 of Luke, as I mentioned earlier, Peter and John, they come to the temple. There's a lame man sitting there begging, and we maybe know or have heard the children's song, you know, silver and gold have I none, but such I have as thee, in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, you've heard it before, right? That's all the singing you're getting out of me today. Probably enough. But the idea is, Peter says to this lame man, I don't have gold or silver, but what I have, I'm going to give you. Rise up and walk, and the man walks. So they proclaim the good news of Jesus. All these people get saved. The church is growing. The priests and the Sadducees get a little frustrated. They get a little uptight. So they call Peter and John into the principal's office, straighten them out, The priests and the Sadducees say, stop talking about Jesus. Now I love how Peter and John handled it. First, they start preaching to the priests and the Sadducees. Then they say, okay, you can tell us to stop, but which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? Right. Talk about throwing it back in the face. Sorry, you know, Peter, John are saying, sorry, we can't stop speaking and teaching. We're just going to do it. So they go, they're let go. They go back to the church, the group of people they were with, and they started praying together. And the first thing they do is they declared the awesome works of what God has done. 
not, not just the signs and wonders that they were experiencing then. They, they go back to the beginning. They, you, God, made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You are the God who has created all things. They, they, go back, they go back to the beginning, but they are proclaiming God. And then they proclaim God's sovereignty by declaring out loud, it was you, God. You know, it wasn't the Romans that put Jesus to death. It wasn't the Jewish religious leaders that put Jesus to death. It was only because you allowed them to do it because it was part of your plan. You, God, are sovereign. Not the Roman Empire. Not even the Jewish religious leaders. So they begin their prayer in worship. They begin their prayer by declaring the, good, the goodness and the sovereignty of God, which is a lesson for us. And then they pray two things. We see in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Your word. Word, logos. John 1. The word became flesh. The logos became flesh. Consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. It, it's not a take the Romans out or take the, the religious leaders out. Didn't pray any of that. It pr- they prayed for boldness. Then they go on and say, And you, God, stretch out your hand to heal, perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. Two things. Lord, give us boldness to proclaim, and then Lord, you stretch your hand out. And what happened? The place where they were shaken, and then they went and preached the Word of God boldly. They got it. They they got that the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ was their job. Likewise, the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ is our job. It's what we are supposed to do. The signs and wonders and the healing and the deliverance, that's, that's God. God stretching forth His hand. Yes, we are the vessels by which it happens, but it is God who does that. Do you see it? Do you see that your job is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ boldly? It's it's my job. So how did this early group of followers of Jesus transform the world? They surrendered to the one true God. They saw what it is that God had called them to do. And they began proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And they are filled with, empowered with, the Holy Spirit. Over the next few months, we are going to go on this journey through the book of Acts. And I'm calling the series, The Acts of the Spirit, 
And, and the reason why is, I mean, you, you can call... I mean, sometimes if you open up your Bible, maybe your translation, when you get to the beginning of Acts, it says the Acts of the Apostles, which is true. We, we see about the Apostles and all they did, but, but for me, the Acts of the Apostles wouldn't be there without the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to focus on the Holy Spirit, and over the course of this next few weeks, as we go through the book of Acts... We're going to pay attention to where Luke says, ah, these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to pay attention to where Luke says, and these people spoke by the Holy Spirit. We're going to pay attention to where Luke says, and these people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And where Luke says, the Holy Spirit spoke to the church, and the church went and obeyed, or did what the Holy Spirit said. We want to see the role of the Holy Spirit in the expansion of the church in the first century. In the reality, thousands of people became followers of Jesus because 12 men and 120 followers were filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaimed the good news of Jesus, They didn't do it on their own. They did it filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And God stretched forth His hand and did signs and wonders and healing. Now sometimes when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, sometimes we get a little nervous because it's the Holy Spirit and Okay, you're going to talk about you know, tongues or healing or prophetic word or that kind of stuff, and that makes people a little nervous. And so I want to just take a moment and share my story around the Holy Spirit um, so you understand where I'm coming from as I dive into this. I grew up in an evangelical covenant church just like this one. And in our church, we, we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit at all. Um, it, it, you know, there's, there's that classic little phrase, you know, you, you think of the Trinity, you know, God the Father, God the Son. <laughs> and so then I got into high school, and one of my best friends happens to be uh, you know, he grew up in an Assemblies of God church where, you know, they're more on the Pentecostal side of things. And so I began to hear about the Holy Spirit and the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then as I even moved beyond high school and into college, I kept running into these people who were charismatic, more in background. And I even traveled with a group, and half of the group, there was about uh, I think like 11 or 12 of us in the group, and half the group was, would be called themselves charismatic or came from the Assemblies of God tradition. So just, just a side note, charismatic, charismatic is, an, is another word in the faith that has gotten a bad rap. Um, and so I just want to make a clarification there. Uh, 
When we hear the word charismatic, often we think of wacky people, you know, out over here that are doing really wacky, crazy stuff. Amen. Um, charismatic, that word comes from the Greek word charisma, which means gift. So like in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, where Paul says there are different kinds of gifts, there are different kinds of charisma. So a charismatic then, in the truest sense of the word, is one who believes that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. So with that definition, I would, I would wear the label charismatic. I believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. But to continue on, my, my first full-time job with Youth for Christ, my boss, charismatic, grew up in the Assemblies of God, was, had been a youth pastor in the Assemblies of God Church. One of my co-workers who came, one of my really good friends, Richard, also from the charismatic background. So I'm hearing about this, and I'm wanting whatever these people are talking about. So I'm reading books, and I'm praying, and you know, but my focus really came on, oh, I really want to speak in tongues, because how, how cool would that be, right? I, I mean, I'm just, this is a tw- the mind of a 20-something. So I'm just trying to be honest with you here. This is where I was a long time ago. I wanted this Holy Spirit thing because I wanted to speak in tongues. I kept praying, I kept reading, kept praying, nothing. So finally I just gave up. It's not for me. Which was probably the best thing I did. So then, um, while I was working for Youth for Christ, I was working with at-risk kids, and I, I, my childhood was such a vanilla childhood. I mean, I grew up in a Christian home, went to church, you know, every time the door was open, I was there, so it was at least three times a week, if not four or five. Um, and I had the privilege of, all through high school, having a group of friends of about 30 kids. We were all Christians. We hung out. Uh, so I had this amazing privilege. So now I'm working with at-risk kids who come from broken homes. They've been abused. And I'm like, Lord, why do you have me here? I can't relate to these people at all. And I remember God speaking to me one time as I was wrestling with this, and he says, I want somebody who has had a great home to love these kids and show them what it means. So in the course of working with these kids, I'm, I'm praying all the time, God, I need help. You know, what do you, how do we do this? You know, and I'm hanging out with kids. And um, I got invited to a conference. It was a weekend conference. There was a speaker coming. He was going to be talking about uh, inner healing, dealing with wounds, whether it's father wounds or, or, or maybe whatever it may be. And I thought, oh, this would be great. I can learn how to help these kids. So off I go, and I'm learning lots of stuff. It's really, it was all really good stuff, and I'm taking notes. And at the last session, they had 
a prayer time. And the prayer time was really, it was a time where people who had stuff inside them and they needed to have deliverance could go, they'd sit, and this guy who was our teacher, he would pray over them. The rest of us, we were there kind of praying along. And people were getting delivered of things and, and they were beginning to experience healing. You could, you could just sense that God was moving in a powerful way. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm going, I don't need to go up there. I mean, I, sure, you know, as I got older, you know, I discovered I had some father wounds because we all have father wounds, no matter how good our dads are. Um, and so I just sat there. I thought, I'm just going to pay attention. But I just sat there. All of a sudden, this guy got up, a guy I knew, <laughs> and he said, I want the Holy Spirit. Now he's got my attention. <laughs> And this guy goes, uh, and so the teacher who was leading says, so, so tell me about the church you grew up in. And this guy actually grew up in another covenant church. Um, and he says, I grew up in this covenant church. And the guy says, you know, covenant denomination is a great denomination, but all denominations have their weakness. They all have something. And he says, one of the things with the covenant denomination is they don't, do a very good job of teaching about the Holy Spirit. My antennas are all the way. They're up. So he began praying for this guy. And I don't know what happened because I just knew that I was next. I just knew it. And so as soon as he was done, I got up and sat in the chair. And the guy says, so uh, what can I pray for you for? I said, what he, did, what he said. That's, that's, all, that's all I did. So the guy began praying for me, began praying that I would receive the Holy Spirit. And I don't know why, but God chose at that moment to give me a physical manifestation of His Spirit. My hands and my feet began to get this warm tingling, and then it just went all over my body. Everywhere. And I knew I was in the presence of the Lord. And I began weeping with joy. And thankfully, this man was an older, wise man. <laughs> and he said, yeah, don't worry about tongues. Just enjoy the presence of the Lord. That transformed me. The crazy thing is, in, within the next year, I'm working with these at-risk kids, skater dudes, Okay, no, I didn't get into skating. I just hung off to the side. <laughs> I didn't want to break anything. But I'm out having a Coke with one of the young men named Andy. Andy, uh, mom and dad are divorced. Dad didn't really want anything to do with them. So we're talking, and, and I'm sharing with him about Jesus he asked Jesus into his heart. Then he and I started getting together on a regular basis. I was going to disciple him. And we were reading the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John where Andrew tells his brother about Jesus. Andrew tells his brother about Jesus. I'm meeting with Andrew. I said, Andrew, 
what do you, what do you, what is God saying to you here? I, I need to tell my friends about Jesus. So we set up a time where most of his friends gathered in a room at our office building and, and Annie told his story. A bunch of them accepted Jesus as their Savior right there. Terry was in the picture and we got married and so we had all these guys be um, ushers at our, at our wedding and help serve food and clean up afterwards and um, then Andy, I got the privilege of um, doing his wedding when he met his wife. And since that time, uh, God has never taken me away from a traditional evangelical church. He's always, uh, he, he, there was times when I was wanted to go to the Assemblies of God denomination or some Pentecost, because that's where my heart was, but God kept telling me, I want you in the evangelical church. I want you to tell people about the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if some of you may have a similar story. Or maybe you're at a point where you've just said, I, I may be prayed for God to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I may not, but whatever. I, I just... Um, I, I ask you to continue to surrender your life to Jesus and just seek Him first. Don't, don't seek after the gifts. Don't seek after tongues. Just seek after Jesus and surrender and trust that you... When you ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, God will fill you with the Holy Spirit to overflowing. And I'm not going to guarantee that you're going to have the same physical manifestation that I did. I don't know why God blessed me with that. I don't. And I pray for others who have received the filling of the Holy Spirit and they haven't had my kind of thing. But for some reason, God chose to show that to me. My desire is that we, as a church, would begin to talk appropriately about the Holy Spirit. That we would learn to listen to the Holy Spirit speak to us. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, that we would test it using God's Word. Because this, this is God's authority, God's Word. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But whenever he speaks to us, however, we need to test it against his word. So today, um, hmm. Sorry, I was just noticing the time, so I'm going to cut out a couple of things and just move to um, what if we as a church began praying Acts 4, 29-31? If you remember, that is where the church prayed, God, give us boldness to proclaim your word. 
And then, God, you stretch forth your hand to do signs and wonders and healing. Because what you and I will see as we go through the book, go through the book of Acts, those two things go hand in hand. When the Holy Spirit moves, it opens up the door for people to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. So what if we began doing that? What if you began doing that in your own life? What if you began praying, Father, empower me, give me boldness, and then stretch forth your hand wherever I'm at. You, you do your thing. And then what if we did that corporately? And what if we began to devote ourselves to the things that God that the early church devoted themselves to, which is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and seeing where He may be at work. Now, we're, we're over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to dive into this more as we go. But I'm just going to wrap everything up this morning with this. As One, just some challenges for you as we begin this series in the book of Acts. Rebecca, this is way in my conclusion. So the first thing I want you to do is read Acts 1 and 2 over the course of the next couple weeks. Just, Just keep reading it. Read, read, read it over. And as you're reading it, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you Ask ask God to reveal to you what He has for you in Acts 1 and 2. And then get a journal and write it down. And then when you write it down, share it with somebody in your family. Share it with your spouse. Have your kids read it. Share it with your kids. Second thing, share it with your family. Share what you are learning with other people. The third thing, do what the Holy Spirit tells you. If the Holy Spirit gives you an unction to do something and it doesn't go against God's Word, then just do it. Fourth thing, what I said earlier, pray Acts 4, 29-31. Just start praying it every day. And then the last thing, memorize Acts 2, 42 through 47. 